We're going to get into um, uh, kind of a unique message today as we're uh, going through a series on Galatians. And I, I thought it would be interesting to um, uh, just sort of shoehorn a couple of friends into the equation as uh, they come from another culture, another view of life and how, uh, how it is that um, the gospel impacts different parts of the world as it's impacting us. Um, uh, this morning, as, um, as we gather, hopefully uh, you guys are, um, are uh, aware of uh, a lot of the things we've been doing on, on the missionary front. And we had a sort of a, a little bit of a scheduling glitch that we ran into uh, with the series that we did on Go. And so what we wanted to do was basically kind of kill two birds with one stone and, uh, and look at um, the second chapter of Galatians through the lens of people uh, who are coming from a, 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 a different cultural uh, experience. So with all that said... Um, I'm going to uh, invite uh, a couple of uh, people for uh, this worship gathering for you to become aware of who they are and uh, to be praying about them and hopefully on the other side of it to know your calling relative to what they've been doing. Um, I had, a, I had a, um, a roommate in seminary that um, he, in his, um, in his vision for getting things done for the kingdom, uh, became a translator for all of the uh, uh, the people in Papua New Guinea, um, and, and and as he was trying to sort of forge his way into that area, um, he was asking a question: How is it that the Word of God can come alive in a culture where people do not have any Scripture at all? They have no vocabulary, they have no alphabet, all they have is just words that they throw back and forth, nothing in print. And his mission was to try to codify the things that we talk about every Sunday into a, a language that they could read. The only problem was they had to invent an alphabet, write words from that alphabet, create a dictionary from that alphabet, and at the end of that whole process, then begin to translate the Word of God from uh, the original language, Greek and Hebrew, into the language of that culture. A pretty daunting task. And you can imagine the bandwidth that that would require. Well, in the background of that vision is an organization and a lot of people trying to work together so that that missionary can do what that missionary needs to do. And interestingly enough, that friend um, is someone that we have as a, as a mutual um, uh, person in our own world. And uh, you are going to work for a, an organization called Pioneer Bible Translators and enabling missionaries to do what they do best. Because I would imagine a lot of times they don't have the bandwidth to think about bureaucracy, to think about all of the things that go to make up the reasons why they can do the work that they do. So that's a little bit of a primer, but it gets better. I'm going to show a video, and I'm going to ask uh, Rich if you would come up and share with us uh, the work that God's been um, uh, leading you through the last three years. 
This is what the Bible looks like for more than 1,800 language groups. How can this be? Nearly five centuries ago, William Tyndale translated the Bible from Greek and Hebrew into English. Today, there are over 100 English language Bible translations. We have more materials to study God's Word than any of us will ever be able to read in a lifetime. The church today has more people, knowledge, opportunity, and resources than ever. But right now, there are still 180 million people without a single word of Scripture in their heart language. No Scripture, let alone commentaries, books, or study materials. Shouldn't we share what we have with those who have nothing? Have we forgotten the last thing Jesus asked us to do? Jesus gave us the responsibility to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything He has commanded. How can they truly follow Jesus without the Word of God? Well, good morning. For those of you who may not know who I am, my uh, parents, my mom and dad, are members here, and so for the past 38 years I had the opportunity to call them parents, and I'm grateful for them introducing us to First Christian. And for the past several years now, First Christian has been uh, sacrificially giving toward our ministry, and, uh, and quite honestly, uh, the work that has been done and the work that's continuing on is made possible because of this. And so I truly believe that God has joined us together on this mission and that uh, together we will uh, continue the work of trans Bible translation. You have been faithful and devoted to the cause of Bible translation and uh, we just wanted to let you know how much we do appreciate uh, what you're doing. And so just as a small small gesture of our appreciation, I brought back with me a portion of scripture that's been translated into the Kutu language, which is one of the translation projects we're doing. This comes from Matthew 4.4. And so we now have a completed New Testament in the Kutu language and are continuing on to the Old Testament. But I thought it was fitting, Matthew 4.4 reads, uh, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. But before we begin today, um, I wanted to, like any good missionary, I brought some pictures with me. And so I wanted to play a little, uh, it's not a game, it's just pictures. But um, I thought I would get a little bit of congregational participation. And so uh, this next slide here is uh, four pictures uh, each one entails a different story, and so I thought if I could get somebody maybe to pick a couple, I could tell you at least a couple different stories from the field. Is anybody interested in any one particular? Which one? Elephants. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, so about 90 minutes or an hour and a half from where we live, there's a game drive, or I guess we would, a safari. So... Um, Within our first year, our family ventured out, and it was just just the three of us. 
we went out and we decided to go on this game reserve. And living there, it's kind of like going to the zoo. I mean, your entrance fee is really relatively low. You pay 10 or 15 bucks and you get to spend the whole day out there. The thing is, you have the option of driving yourself, which is always adventurous, and so I always opt for that. Uh, however, they don't make you sign any disclosure, any insurance waiver, nothing, and so you're just kind of left like, you know, is there any dangers? You'll be fine, you'll be fine. I'm Nishida, I'm Nishida. So we, uh, we go out there, and we saw a lot of animals, it was a great day, but we hadn't seen any elephants all day, and so it was getting near the end, sunset, and we go around this one bend, and out emerges, out of these very tall grass, elephant grass, is a herd, two herds of elephant, probably about 20 to 30 different elephants, different sizes. And so we kind of just stopped the vehicle, and we're a quarter mile or less away. Got some really good pictures, saw them crossing the road in front of us, and so uh, thought that was great. We went on after they passed through, and sure enough, we turned the corner, and here they come again, crossing the road in front of us again. So I had the great idea. I said, Sarah, wouldn't it be great if we just pulled right in the middle and allowed the elephants to surround us? And in her lapse of judgment, she said, yes, Rich, that is a great idea. So I, I stopped the car, turned it off, rolled down the windows. <laughs> Wanted to get the full experience, you know. And uh, sure enough, these elephants come and they're just kind of surrounding us. Um, and when you get close enough to hear an elephant, you're probably too close. But uh, as my wife assured me, these are gentle giants. So they, most of them passed through, had no issues with us. But it was about the second to the last guy, he's passing through, and he just stops. And then he turns and looks at us. And he didn't look happy. So he flapped his ears, stomped his foot a little bit. And at that point, I said, roll him up. And so we rolled up the windows. And, um, and then he starts making his way off to the side. And, and he did one of those flapping the ears and like he was going to charge us. And so we, we were able to quickly kind of speed out of there. But as I turn back and I look, like some sort of silhouette after Lion King or something, he has his leg, his foot up on a rock, and his, his trunk way up in the air, kind of like warning the other elephants of our, of our danger. But it was good. We made it out alive. So, good story. Which other one would you like to hear? Oh, the one, the one in the corner with the luggage? Yeah. Oh, the boxes? Oh, the black and white one? Okay. Yeah, the black and white one. Uh, this was... Okay, so living over there, we are going to get our driver's license. And so some things are very similar cross-cultural-wise. Uh, this is at the BMV, and there's a lot of waiting at the BMV. And so, there's also not a lot of seating at the BMV. Um, but Sarah seemed to find this seat here. Uh, it's probably designed more like for two people. But she brought her book and decided she's just going to kind of sidle up to this guy. But um, the whole process of getting your driver's license, you know, from an accounting standpoint, is somewhat not efficient. Um, there's, there's multiple steps. Actually, when you first go in, they have posted an entire uh, circle, like a wheel, like the steps. It's an eight-step, eight, eight to ten-step process for getting your driver's license. And so it, it's an all-day event. In fact, from start to finish, it's probably more like three days. And then at the very end, you get kind of an IOU 
because the machine wasn't working to print your driver's license. But anyhow, so a part of the inefficient process is you, you go and you fill out an application, and then they give you like a receipt that you're, or some sort of deposit thing. You're supposed to take over to the bank and you pay for your class endorsements. Then you go back and then you have to pay for, for, for a provisional license. Now, you're all in the process of getting a driver's license, but you've got to go through this whole process. So you pay for a provision. You go over there, they file on another form. You go and stand in a bank line another 40 minutes, and then you go back. And you do that about three or four times, and in the end, I think you spend maybe about $40, $45, and you, you've stood in lines at least, you know, probably three, four hours throughout the day. And, um, but like I said, in the end, you get, your, you get your receipt, which apparently is not recognized by any sort of traffic police anyhow, but it, uh, it, it is what it is, and that's the process. So, But as Leonard mentioned, uh, my family and I are missionaries with Pioneer Bible Translators, and we're currently living in Tanzania, which is in East Africa. Now, Tanzania is a rather large country. It's about the size of two Californias, uh, mass-wise, and it's just along the eastern coast of the continent of Africa, and, um, and it's right below the equator. And so for the past three years, we have been part of the seven different language projects that our branch is working on there. And really, given the complexities of learning a foreign language, preparing the dictionaries in a lot of situations, and then actually teaching people sometimes to read and how to read the Bible, a translation project can take about 20 to 30 years in its entirety for the Bible to be translated. But the good news is several of our projects have been translated and completed the New Testament, in fact. And now we're working through a lot of the portions and then the entire Old Testament. But others still are in the formation stages. In fact, one of them, we just completed the book of Luke, which is generally the first book we try to translate, depending on uh, the region that we're in. But Luke, and then, and then we get involved with showing Jesus film projects and and other things to actively engage the community. But having said that, uh, you know, our family is in this for the long haul and uh, until the Lord calls us elsewhere. And so we look forward to the many years that the Lord has in store for us. Uh, just to give you a little bit more about our organization, Pioneer Bible Translators has been around for about 40 years now and is working in 17 different countries around the world translating scripture for more than 38 million people. We exist to disciple the Bibleists and provide enduring access to God's Word. Our vision is to see transformed lives through God's Word in every language. With over 7,000 languages in the world today, about 2,000 of them still have no scripture. And when I say no scripture, I mean no, no paragraph, no sentence, not a word. So within these 2,000, our focus is on 900 of them, which not only do not have scripture, but have no church community presence. These tend to be the most remote and the most unreached people groups of the world. Through prayer and working together with other translation organizations, our goal is to see that all remaining, or remaining languages of the world have a translation work started by the year 2050. As I mentioned before, my family and I are part of this global work being done. 
And I have been, and we have been working in East Africa with the East Africa branch of PBT. The country of Tanzania has about 128 different languages in and of itself. And many of these language groups are fairly large. In fact, one of the groups we work with was the Makonde people group. The Makonde are located in the southeast portion of the country and are actually known a lot for their wood carvings and crafts. But the people group alone represent about one million people in the country. Our individual roles in Tanzania are considered support missionaries. Both my wife and I left our full-time jobs to move overseas to help support the work that is being done in Tanzania. So right now, Sarah is currently teaching a lot of the missionary uh, kids in our branch. And, uh, and I am the director of the support. And so I handle all the other kind of support roles. But we make sure that the trans- translation work continues on and progresses by removing those administrative burdens uh, from our translators, from our scripture impact, from our church planners. And we are blessed to be able to do that. In fact, we're blessed to be able to use our God-given talents overseas on the mission field. I mean, living and working in Tanzania still ignites our passion and, uh, and serving Him to this day. Our motto has always been no turning back, and still so. But before we go on, uh, let's open up in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank You for the God that You are. The God that is here today, the God that is here there in Tanzania, the God that is there in other parts of the world and will always be there. I thank You for the work that You're doing locally, globally, nationally. You're an amazing God that we serve. Help us to live our lives in such a way that please You. Help us to live our lives in such a way that we listen to You when You call. We do these things because of your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So I did want to share with you a little message today. uh, In addition to kind of an update of what we're doing. So I have a passage in mind I wanted to share with you. It comes from the book of Exodus. And it's in chapter 3. So feel free to turn there in your Bibles. And we'll read that shortly. But for the past three years, in addition to living and working in Tanzania... My wife and I have been actively trying to learn the national language, which is Swahili. Swahili is spoken in uh, several East African countries uh, in and surrounding Tanzania. It's not a national, it's not one of the big languages of the world, but certainly is several countries in Africa. But unlike many of our linguist colleagues, uh, learning a new language can be difficult and challenging. And in fact, one time I remember during our, our language learning uh, classes that we were having, Sarah had given me a call uh, while I was out, and she gave me a simple task of picking up some onions on the way back uh, home from work. And so I agreed, and I actually thought it would be kind of fun to get to you know, try out some phrases and things I've been storing up. And so I wanted to go to one of these roadside stands where the... Uh, the mamas, the ladies, would often sell the vegetables. And so tucked back on this dirt road near our house, I found this dilapidated old shack, probably held together by a few nails. And I proudly walked up to the lady and I greeted her. 
And in my best Swahili, I kindly ask, Nina Fuata Vivranga, which is, in my mind, what I thought to understand, say, I am looking for onions. Well, she stood there, kind of confused. And uh, I said, oh, you know what? There, there's different sizes. And so I pointed to some and I said, Kubla, the big ones. And so she kind of bagged them up and gave them to me. But I, I went home and I was still wondering why she was so confused. I, I said it so clearly. I don't understand. I, I'm sure I was flawless. <laughs> so a few days later, I was kind of celebrating and, and telling my colleagues about my experience of picking up onions. You know, we try to celebrate the little things of what we can do, like getting onions. Um, so I told her exactly what I said and she kind of laughed at me. I said, what? What was it? Well, apparently the word for onions is awfully close in Swahili to the word baby chickens. And not only that, but the word to look for is really close to follow. And so when I thought I was saying I'm looking for onions, I was actually saying I am following baby chickens. (laughs) You know, the big ones. So how I ever got onions that day was probably by the grace of God. I mean, I just pointed and she's like, he must mean onions. Okay. But today I wanted to teach you one simple Swahili word. And the word is nipo. It's a small four-letter word where the I is pronounced like a long E. The meaning is as simple as the word. It means I am here. It can also be translated here I am or here am I. And depending on the context, Nepo can be used in a variety of responses. So, for example, where is Jeffrey? Here I am, Nepo. Are you at school or here at the office? I am here, Nepo. It's a fun word I often use when I arrive at the office and uh, at our office, our branch. You know, I, I like to announce my presence to my national co-workers and I'll say, Nepo. And they kind of, they don't understand the sarcasm or the humor in it. And I say, I know, I see you. So... But let's read in our Bibles from Exodus chapter 3, starting with verse 1. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. One day Moses was was attending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flame, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses thought to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go and see. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, he called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and now I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. 
Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have come, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, your sign is you will worship God at this very mountain. You know, I can relate a lot to Moses in this situation. I didn't exactly have a burning bush calling or experience. But when the Lord called us into full-time mission work, my I am here response was more like a who am I question. You see, when God called Sarah and I to full-time missionary work, we had a plan for our lives. We knew which direction we were headed and how we are going to get there. Or at least we thought. Moses was also in the middle of what he probably thought was a usual day in the life of a shepherd protecting his flock. So where will you be when God calls you? All of us need to be prepared. And maybe your calling isn't to go overseas or to lead the people of Israel out of slavery. But that's okay. A couple years into watching children, Sarah really, during her childcare years, started uh, doubting really that she was doing much. You know, changing diapers and maybe cleaning up a messy house doesn't necessarily feel like doing the work of the Lord. But after praying about it, uh, God was calling her to have a change in her mindset. In fact, she began praying for the families and that she was working with and for, and invited them to church. One of the moms started attending, and then actually a couple years later, the husband started attending as well. So be faithful in the small jobs that God has given you today, but be ready to listen and to hear from Him as well. Proverbs 16.9 says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Better put, I like how the message version says this. We plan the way we want to live, but only God makes us able to live it. God knew the course for our lives. Our first response to such a calling was to say, Nepo. Second, saying Nepo often does come with a price, and we sometimes need to count that cost. Moses knew what he was going back to. He tried to plead his way out of it, in fact. In chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Lord, please, send someone else. And God wasn't that encouraging either when he told Moses ahead of time that he was actually going to harden Pharaoh's heart. So one day Moses was caring for helpless sheep, and the next day he was heading back to the place where uh, the Egyptians wanted to kill him and his own people didn't even want him. Think about how scary that must have been. Last year, one of our Tanzanian uh, translators, national translators, um, he was, he's in charge in, in helping translate the Matumbi Bible. Um, he had his life threatened. And it was a pretty daunting event for all of us. And we had to relocate him for months until the people who were after him were eventually arrested. But... Um, we moved him to a safe location about eight hours north of his home. And there he continued on the work of translating scripture. His devotion and passion to see the Bible translated into his heart language far outweighed the risk he was willing to take. He was going to continue answering the Lord's calling on his life 
no matter what. Moses knew there might be a cost for saying Nepo. They could cost him his reputation, his family, and possibly his own life. But after counting the cost, he knew it was worth it to see God's people, his own flesh and blood, be free. Nepo can also be seen throughout Scripture. And in Genesis 22, when God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, uh, he says later in that, in that story, uh, God told him to go ahead and stop what he's doing right in his tracks. And Abraham says, Nepo, I am here. He calls out to him, Abraham, Abraham, Nepo. And then again in Isaiah chapter 6, the Lord asked for a messenger to be sent to his people. And Isaiah says, Nepo. You know, Isaiah's response could have been, Who am I? Who am I, who am I to go? Who am I to give this message? But unlike Moses, Isaiah, after recognizing his sins were forgiven, simply answered, Nepo, send me. So my last point, I just would say that we need to answer the call. We return to Moses, and in chapter 4, verses 18 through 24, he says goodbye to his father-in-law, packs up his family, and returns to Egypt. Due to Moses' answering the call, the Israelites were eventually released from the Egyptians and able to worship the Lord freely. When Sarah and I first moved to Tanzania, uh, we had no idea what was in store for us. I mean, we knew we were going over to support uh, the translation work that was being done, but we really didn't know what that looked like. I knew I was going over there to eventually replace uh, a lady who was the director of the support at the time, and she was going to be retiring in a few years, and I'd have several several years with her learning. In fact, it turned out within that first year that she needed to leave the field much earlier due to ailing parents. And then the bookkeeper who was there at the time had no intentions of leaving but then, again, within that first year, had to leave due to health reasons. So, very quickly, I realized that God had me there at the right moment, at the right time, right where He wanted me. Sarah was also unsure of what her purpose was going to be. Shortly after arriving, the, the head teacher who had a baby the year previous uh, thought it was best for her and her family to go ahead and take the year off and so they had no head teacher. And so Sarah really had no idea. She's been praying about it and had no idea that she'd be using her teaching degree from over a decade ago and would finally come to use in a small group of missionary children. But God knew. You know, we learn a great deal uh, from people in the Bible. What I really like is God uses people like you and me. It's, it's not always necessarily kings, queens or those necessarily in high social status. It, it certainly can be, but most of the time it's people who simply respond to him. People who are willing to listen, and people who are willing to answer. In fact, given the list of people that God used in the Bible, you and I may have a heads up on a lot of these people. We have the, uh, you know, he, God has the ability uh, to turn coward men into leaders, he has the power to turn prisoners into persons of power, shepherds in the king, and persecutors in the missionaries. Broken men into followers. Let me ask you, where, where are you? Are you here, Nepo? Are you prepared and standing on a foundation with Christ and willing to say 
I am here when He calls you? Everyone has a calling on their lives, and it looks different for each person. What could God be calling you to do? If you just take a moment and you think about what He might be calling you to do, this week even, maybe it's forgiving someone, maybe it's stopping an addiction you have, maybe it's sacrificing your money or time for a person or cause. Only you and God know what you've been called to do. And maybe you've already heard this calling and you need to begin counting the cost of it. Maybe you've said Nepo and, and counting the cost and, and now it's time to answer his calling. What steps have you, do you need to take this week to begin answering that calling? The past three years of living overseas, I've had the opportunity to attend a couple different Bible dedications. These are often celebrations uh, of the New Testament or other portions of Scripture being printed and then distributed for the first time. And during one of these celebrations, uh, typically in Swahili or even the heart language, I was able to make out one of the Scripture readings. And it came from John or James chapter 2, verse 14. It says, what, is it, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't, have, but don't show it by your actions? I mean, this verse struck me. When I heard this, I immediately thought, not only must someone read Scripture, but live Scripture. Here we are living in a place surrounded by people who have not been given the opportunity to read Scripture their entire lives. I mean, we are literally living examples to them. God has given us the opportunity to be witnesses to His Word. A couple weeks ago, I got to think uh, and reflect and share about my own NEPO experience. We were sharing with a small group about our time, and I uh, played the video that I want to play for you here in a little bit. But I put it together after a Bible dedication I had attended a couple years ago. And I hadn't watched the video in a while, and so it was kind of fairly new to me. I watched it, and I really let the song, words of the song wash over me, and I was overcome with emotion, and tears began trickling down my face. It really was a fresh reminder of why and for whom we choose to say Nepo. After arriving and getting somewhat unpacked, I had the opportunity to go to a New Testament dedication ceremony for one of the translations our teammates completed. It was amazing to see God's Word handed to people for the first time. A very memorable Sound of your voice, all 
it once, it's a gentle and thundering noise, oh God, all that you are is so be honest with you, there are times after saying Nepo that maybe you'll want to be like Jonah and you'll want to sail across the ocean to get away and regretting the words of saying Nepo. But God promised that it was never going to be easy and that there wouldn't be hardships. Our first year of being there, Sarah's brother and sister-in-law had their first baby. We lost Sarah's grandpa and we missed my brother's wedding. Not to mention the holidays and family get-togethers that we missed out on. There were plenty of times that we needed to lean on God and on His promises like we have never done so before. There are times when you ask yourself, is it worth it? Sarah and I are blessed to have this opportunity in the next six to seven months here to reflect on our last three years, refocus on our next term, and to relive and to report to those who have been praying and partnering with us. So this is what we'd love to do. We'd love to be able to talk with you you want to talk more with us, we'll be in the back. If you want to hear more about the snakes, the monkeys, the bugs, and maybe how you can partner with us individually on, a, on an individual level, please come talk with us. But I just wanted to thank you for having us today and for letting us share with you. Well, thanks for putting... Um uh, physicality to uh, a couple of names that we've been talking about for a long time and giving us a little bit of a glimpse of what you've been doing. Uh, you've been in the mission field for about three years and you came back to the States and I asked these guys what was it about the United States that they felt like had changed in that three-year span and uh, they said that um, they noticed that there is a sharp trend towards everything that you say seems to now have a political component to it. And they, they don't remember that being part of the equation. And it has become so toxic here that you can, you can sense the divisiveness in the air. 
And on another level, I said, well, where's your son at today? Well, for the first time in a very long time, he's sick. So I'm like, okay, so the message here is you came back to the United States and it got worse. And isn't it funny how we think you go to another part of the world and we're going to better them through our way of life. And yet you guys come back and perhaps what you've given us is a breath of fresh air to a way of life that has been uh, somewhat stagnant and claustrophobic and even oppressive. And I thought about the toxic elements that are permeating the air here and Galatians 2, which I'm not going to do another sermon, but I do want to tell you a story real quickly. And as I thought about that, I realized that one of the things that got in the way in Galatians 2 of the word getting out was Peter was saying to people who were followers and people that were hearing the gospel, you kind of got to become like a Jew like us in, in all of our traditions in order to follow Jesus. And it was like saying, you've got to adapt our way of life before you can follow the way of life of Christ. And sometimes I think in our own right, we want to take the American way and just say this is all Christian. But as my son, as I tell you a first anecdote, my son called me the other day and said, everybody on the campus, dad, looks like zombies. And I said, well, why do you think that is? He said, they just seem so shut down. I said, do you feel like there's a sense of divisiveness in the air where there's political categories that people fit into there are cultural categories there are um, economic categories there are sex and gender categories and then there's microaggression and is it possible that people don't even want to talk to each other anymore because they're afraid they might be offen offensive and he said yeah that's I think that's kind of it and we're living in a moment where people have big questions about how we move forward. And I told him, aren't you grateful that we live in the wake of a tradition that is well over 2,000 years that gives us some guidance and wisdom and is, a, is, a, is it really a source of stability in the mess that we live in? And it's because we have the word. Now here's a story I want to share with you. Uh, how many of you in college had that class that was a weed out class? And when you took it, you're like, man, if I don't make this class, it's, it's game over. I've got to do something else. And for me, it was Greek. And Greek is what the New Testament was written in. And I took a class and some friends and I, we kind of studied together, but we weren't that good of, a, of students. But the one thing that we banked on was the curve. You know, where if everybody does bad, then they recalibrate the grades so that everybody can do good, which would have been fine had it not been for this kid named Jeff. Jeff was that kid, when he saw the word, he remembered it. When he saw all of the verbal and, 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 and noun components of words, he's like, got it. So every time there was a test, guess who got almost an A plus every time? Jeff. And of course we're just throwing our hands in the air thinking he's ruining it for us. But what we failed to appreciate is what was going on in Jeff's life. 
You see, our freshman year going in, there was a there was a guy who was a Bible translator who had developed an organization, and he had spoken to all of the students. And essentially, um, I don't remember entirely the gist of it, but it was something akin to what we find in Revelation 7, where he painted a picture where it says that... Um, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they were worshiping. Everybody from all over the planet, from every people group, from Every group that is opposed to each other in this moment, they're all there. And what was toxic? For Paul, what was toxic was Peter was kind of getting in the way because he said, you've got to become like us so that we can become like Christ. And Paul called him out and he said, you're reading a little bit too much of your own culture into this equation because we're called to something different. And my friend Jeff had taken away from that chapel sermon this. There are a lot of people out there who do not have the word of God. And they're living out their own version of toxic confusion like we are. And they need somebody to give them some light. And it needs to be recast in a way that they can keep it forever. And so my friend Jeff, he was not only translating Greek, but he was also translating Swahili. And he was learning that. And we're just struggling. And we're looking at this guy and we're saying, where's he going with that? But he saw something that took a lot of us a lot more time to figure out. That the end game is about all of us being together. But it's not going to happen until everyone here's the same story. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jeff had so locked that into his head and he recognized that God had given him the ability to translate scripture in such a way that he could go into a culture and he could begin to figure out how the words would have a, a certain alphabet and and, and a certain word order. And he had a genius for that. So much so that before we were out of college, he had been to Africa twice on translating excursions. My friend Jack Austin, who's my predecessor, said, and he was almost tearful when he said it, it is all about relationships, Leonard. Because we're, with relationships, you can go places that you would never go by yourself. And what I discovered was this Jeff that I didn't care about. Well, I went to seminary at another school following my, my, my bachelor's. And I had to room with a person for a year uh, when I stayed overnight. And guess who that person was? Jeff. And all of a sudden, Jeff went from being somebody that I really didn't care for, kind of tongue-in-cheek, to somebody that we would have late night conversations about the things that he was doing and why he was doing what he was doing. 
And my friend Jeff decided he was going to go to Papua New Guinea, translate the Word of God into a language that cannibals and people that have all kinds of darkness and toxins in their world could begin to have the light of the good news. The interesting thing about relationships taking you where you never thought you would ever go is that sometimes you start doing things you never thought you would ever do. How in the world did an accountant and a homemaker ever get in your head that you need to just pull up stakes and go to, let's say, Tanzania? How did that happen? Did you imagine five years ago that was going to ever happen? But your relationship with the Lord, coupled with the relationship with some people here um, doing the work, brought you into a new calling that you never thought would ever happen. My friend Jeff ended up going on to head an organization called Pioneer Bible Translators. And so when I became aware that there's a a couple who are part of this church wanting to be a part of a Bible translating experience, and then when it came to light that it was Pioneer Bible Translators, I'm like, do you know Jeff? And Jeff happens to be one of the heads of Pioneer Bible Translators. And it's funny how God just orchestrates things. Jeff inspired myself and my wife and some other people in that whole conversation to eventually do mission work ourselves. Things that you never thought you would ever do. Be careful who you hang out with because it may change everything. And as... um, This story unfolds. It has been awesome to have you guys with us to give us some substance to the things that we've been hearing about and to show us perhaps uh, that we need to maybe pay careful attention to what God's doing uh, through our relationships and our conversations. I don't know if, 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 if you're like our friends here, who are probably sitting where you are at one point saying, no, nah, that's, that's not us. That's never us. But never say never. God may be calling you to do something, and this may be a nudge in that direction, or this may be the final thing that you're like, yeah, you know what, we got to do something like that. I don't know, only God knows your heart. Or he may be calling us to support people who do those very things. And whatever it is, um, listen for the call. Because there are tribes and language groups and people all around the planet who are waiting to get in to this event. And the thing that's stopping it from happening is just our willingness to get behind sharing the word, encouraging missionaries, and enabling the translation to happen so that the big event can get underway. Jeff had a vision. It was contagious, and I hope it is even more contagious for everybody else.